Feel free not to listen, because now I'm in a mood. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to read the Bible verse again. Do I need to read it again? Are we still, we still in? Okay, good. For all you guests, good week. <laughs> all right. <sighs> so this passage is a little out of order from the regular lectionary. I usually preach from the lectionary simply because it's one less thing that I have to decide throughout the week. And as you probably noticed, I read a little bit more than was printed in the bulletin. And let me make it clear that I changed my mind. It's not because Diane isn't awesome. I, originally, I think originally the extra verses were always intended, but when I sent the information way back in October, I just simply forgot, just put the wrong number in. So it's not Diane's fault. It's my fault. All right. Anyway, this passage is a little out of order either way. It's not the usual gospel lesson for this week, and it actually takes place earlier in the story than last week's square-off with the Sadducees. It's within the same line of questioning, though, as the scribes tried to trap Jesus. Just prior to this parable, Jesus had been asked, on whose authority does, all, does he do all of his preaching and his teaching? The parable of the tenant farmers is directed at the priests and the scribes, also known as Pharisees and Sadducees. They're the same groups of people there. Although his disciples and surely a crowd of many others were listening, Jesus directed this bit of teaching at the ones who were causing the commotion. They assumed he was a fraud. They assumed he did not know the scripture as well as he did or as well as they did. Through this chapter of Luke, the priests and the scribes are thinking of everything they can to trap Jesus, to show this crowd that they that had gathered that they were following yet another false prophet. Parables are used to bring the point of a lesson into the context of the listeners. Because Jesus did much of his teaching among farmers and the like, many of his parables revolved around agriculture. This parable falls into that category, but with an added element for the questioning priests and scribes. Jesus used a vineyard to help illustrate his point because he knew that if the priests and the scribes had really been paying attention to scripture, they would recognize the importance of the vineyard right away. The vineyard had long been used throughout scripture and tradition to illustrate specifically God's relationship with Israel. Throughout Jesus' parable, the farmers of the vineyard are given several chances to do what is right by the landowner. Though Jesus has used several instances of land ownership to point out the corruption and oppression of the Romans and their subordinates, it's clear from this parable, or at least it should be, that the landowner is God. If the landowner is God and the tenant farmers are the people of Israel, we can see from Jesus' parable that he is informing the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he knows what they are up to. He is showing them right to their faces what their next move will be. 
and how many times they really had messed up in the past. As God began the relationship with the Israelites, the likes of Moses and Aaron were sent to the people only to be ignored and the golden calf created in idolatry. Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah were sent to prophesy that the, to the Israelites that they needed to amend their assumptions in order to fulfill the will of God. Through love and relationship, the Israelites did not listen. The lesser prophets came and shared the parables of God with the people, and still the people did not listen. Still the people did what they wanted, not giving unto God what was God's, but keeping the best of themselves from God. And so God, the owner of the vineyard, thought, what shall I do? They aren't listening. I have sent so many prophets to them. I have given them so many chances to understand how to live in relationship with me. I have given them so many chances to live in harmony and love. So he sent his son, the heir, to talk some sense into these tenant farmers. And still, the tenant farmers, the priests and the scribes, did not listen. Jesus said to them that once the landowner's son was killed, the landowner had no choice but to give the vineyard to others, to those who would appreciate and respect it, to those that would cultivate it, to allow it to grow and to thrive. When the crowd was, that was listening responded with a, with a desire to never let such a thing happen, Jesus continued. He told them that the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. In this last bit of the passage, Jesus knows what is coming his way. In his, his days, if not, in his last days, if not even his last hours, he's away from arrest, just away from it, a sham of a trial and crucifixion. He knows that the Pharisees and the Sadducees do not understand exactly what they are doing when they challenge him. The stone that the builder rejected is Christ himself. Thrown away by those who deem themselves the well-informed. Thrown away by those who deem themselves the right the correct, no way but our way. Tossed away as fodder to make sure their lives were not interrupted. Cast aside because the rough edges of the stone did not fit their perfectly constructed idea. And yet the stone so carelessly cast away became the cornerstone of something greater the cornerstone of the faith that so many follow. As many of us know, the cornerstone is the first stone that is laid in a new building. It has to be strong. 
It sets the tone for what's going to be built upon it. As Christ was cast aside by the priests and the scribes, he would build a message that would survive into the new millennium and beyond. The priests and the scribes of Jerusalem were the original audience of these words. So what then can we pull from it? How can we put these words of Christ to work in our own lives? For generations, this passage has been used as a way of separation of Christians and Jews. It's used, it was used to point, out, point the finger to the Jews for killing Jesus and made way for centuries of mistreatment of the people of God. And the truth is, this passage does not place the Jewish people below Christians, but shows what happens when a group of people who ought to know better ignore God and ignore God's work in their lives. The word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ. Yet his words and actions were and are ignored by those who claim to know them. When the farmers of the parable turned against all of the warnings the landowner had sent, he finally sent his son. And even that didn't work. The people still fought against the landowner. They still did whatever pleased them. They killed the son, the person sent to them as a voice of reason sent to them as a chance to turn things around, not only for their own benefit, but for the benefit of all who depend on the vineyard for survival. God is constantly giving us an opportunity to hear the message of love and of reconciliation. God is constantly giving us the opportunity to open our minds and our hearts to hear what God may be saying to us now in the present. Just like the priests and the scribes of the first century, so many people have a hard time understanding that Christ's message was that of inclusion, of understanding, of love, and an effort to build and strengthen God's relationship with the creation. The priests and the scribes feared that Jesus was trying to destroy what they believed about God, when in fact Jesus was trying to clear out the weeds, untangle the knots, and allow the true message to shine through. Jesus did not come to destroy anyone's way of life, but simply to offer yet another opportunity for them to love God and neighbor with everything that they had. Jesus reminds us over and over again to hang the laws and the prophets on the love of God and love of neighbor first. Without those two things at the forefront of our lives, no knowledge of nor adherence to the law, no knowledge of or belief in the prophecies means much. Without a reconciled heart with the children of God, there is little point. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of all that we believe, was sent to us to give us an opportunity to have relationship with our Creator. 
we build our lives upon him. He is the strength of all of us. His name is stamped on our hearts as we do our very best to live out the life that he would have us live. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were never able to fully understand what they were doing. When they turned Jesus over to the Romans to be put to death, they were so blinded by their own ideas that they did not realize that through their actions they hammered the nails into his hands and his feet because they could not handle someone questioning their beliefs. They rid the world of the Son of God. My husband Josh is out of town this week, so I took the opportunity to watch Star Wars all the way through. I'm a nerd. And although I rolled my eyes through most of the dialogue, especially those of the newer movies, I, really, I was really struck by something from the very original film, which I'd heard many times before, but it just sat differently with me after working on this sermon. The one from 1977, the original Star Wars. Right, good stuff. When Obi-Wan Kenobi was facing Darth Vader toward the end, and he says to Vader, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the stone that the builder refused, was struck down and became more powerful than the priests and the scribes could ever imagine. His words and his message are still heard today, this very day, in this very room. He was sent by God to give us another opportunity for relationship, and I sure hope we take it. Amen.